As we get into the story this evening, I want us to remember where we are. Jesus and his disciples have been spending a lot of time together in an upper room and then making their way from an upper room out to a garden just outside the city. And so for the last several weeks, we've been listening to a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and it has been a very heavy conversation. We have been outsiders looking in, sort of eavesdropping on this conversation and trying to find our place in that story. We've heard Jesus say a lot of beautiful things like love and serve one another. We've also heard Jesus say some very dark and terrible things like some of you are going to betray me and some of you are going to deny me and some of you are going to scatter and abandon me. I'm going to a place where you cannot go and things are going to get very dark and scary, but don't worry. Back to beautiful things. I'm sending the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth, who will comfort you and counsel you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you to be with me. But all of these things can get lost. All of these beautiful truths can get lost in the midst of very terrible news. The disciples have been with Jesus and they make their way from the upper room across the city, outside the city. And the story picks up here where Jesus has finished saying all that he's going to say to his disciples. He's taught them everything he can teach them. He has imparted to them all that he could possibly impart to them, all that they could bear up to this moment. But now it is time for them all to go separate ways. Jesus to the cross, the disciples into places of hiding or who knows where else. And that's where we pick up our story tonight. Jesus has spoken these words and then he goes out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. They cross the little stream and make their way up to the garden. Our scripture reading for the sermon comes from John 18, 1 to 27. If you are willing and able, I want you to please stand for the reading of God's holy word. And take to heart what Jesus Christ, our Lord, endured and listen to these things revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus had spoken these words, he, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. 
Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You're also not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not one of the servants of the high priest. A relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. The word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. I want us to look at two things in this story tonight, two big things. One is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and then the other, responses to Jesus Christ. In this story, we see that Jesus, the Word made flesh for the life of the world, is in a garden. The one who came full of grace and truth, the one who comes revealing the glory of the Father, is in a garden, and a mob of people come looking for him. And you notice in the story that instead of sitting back and passively waiting for them, Jesus goes forward. He goes out to meet them. And so there is a confrontation. Jesus goes out to meet them and asks, Who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. This is, this is historical truth, historical reality. They are looking for a man from a certain, uh, certain place, a man that they can identify. They're looking for a teacher, a prophet, 
a rabble-rouser, someone who has been accused of doing wrong. They're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. <clears throat> but then he gives them a deeply theological answer by saying, I am. Your English translations say, I am he. We try to clean these things up. But he is speaking as God. I am. This is the answer that the burning bush gave Moses when he said, Who are you? Whom shall I say will send me? And the answer is, tell them, I am is sending you. Throughout John's gospel, John has revealed to us who Jesus is. And Jesus has described himself in many ways. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. And so when they come looking for Jesus of Nazareth... He gives the answer that they're not expecting. Not expecting, first of all, because they don't expect him to be so courageous and so bold as to step forward and confront them. But the answer they're not expecting because he speaks as if he were God, I am. And you notice in the story that as Jesus steps forward, the crowd, the mob does something interesting. Did you notice? Jesus steps forward and says, I am. And what does the mob do? With their lanterns, their torches, and their weapons, they fall back to the ground. They have to regather themselves as Jesus says, Whom do you seek? In my imagination, still moving towards them. We're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And he reveals himself once again as more than Jesus of Nazareth. Although he is Jesus of Nazareth, he is the Word of God made flesh for the life of the world. Something interesting in this story is in the modern world, in our contemporary age, you'll have many people who go on a quest for the historical Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth. That's all they're interested in. Did Jesus exist? Where did he exist? What did his contemporaries say about him? Did anyone write anything about him? And they want to encapsulize him in this historical reality and leave him there. That was then. This is now. But the real Jesus stretches and breaks out of those bounds, doesn't he? He is Jesus of Nazareth, a man born in space-time history in and raised up in that area, in that town, Nazareth. But he is so much more than that. And the real Jesus exceeds the expectations of those who seek him even now, whether they come with torches, lanterns, and weapons or not whether they come with the tools of scholars and critics, or whether they come with the, the criticisms of, of teachers and theologians. He defies all of that by revealing himself as the I Am, Yahweh in the flesh, God who became man for the life of the world. So when Jesus reveals himself in this way, John has brought us, in essence, to a crossroads throughout his gospel. He has said all of these true things and all of these gracious things about Jesus, but now he brings us to a crossroads. And what we see in the second part of this story, the thing I want to break down for you, are the responses to Jesus. 
John brings us to a crossroads and that up to this point in his gospel, he has allowed all of us, all of the readers, all of the hearers, all of the listeners of the story to simply admire Jesus from a distance. He's allowed us to keep our space and to watch him do his thing. We've listened to him teach. We've seen him perform miracles. We've seen him argue with his enemies. We've seen him avoid trouble. We've seen all of these things happen, and we've been able to admire Jesus as fans, spectators, from a distance watching this story unfold. But tonight, in the garden, in this story, we're all brought to a crossroads, and the question has to be, how will we respond to Jesus? And there are a variety of responses to Jesus in this story. Even his disciples are put into a position where they can no longer just sit on the sideline and admire Jesus as a really cool guy. Or look at Jesus as a fantastic teacher or a miracle worker. They're no longer allowed to do that. Everyone is brought to a crossroads of decision. And everyone in this story has to make a decision about what they will do with Jesus. This is where the rubber meets the road for all of the disciples, the crowds, the mobs, their leaders, the religious big shots, the politicians, everyone involved, top to bottom, including us. The three main responses we see are these. There are those who responded to the revelation of Jesus Christ as God in the flesh for the life of the world in this way. There were those who betrayed Him. There were those who condemned Him. And there were those who denied Him. Those are the three main responses we see in this story. In verse 2, we see that Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place where they were going. It was a place they had frequented. He knew Jesus and his disciples would be spending the night out there under the stars in the garden, even on that cold night. Earlier, Earlier that same evening, Judas had slipped away from the upper room to go do the devil's work. We didn't know why he left. The disciples didn't know why he left. But now everyone knows that he went out to procure a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees. So he's got this mob together. And notice they come with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And so they are coming with this threat to intimidate Jesus. They, they bring this mass number of people out, flexing their power, flexing their muscle. We're coming to get Jesus. Judas has betrayed the Son of God. John doesn't go into a lot of detail about what unfolded in the garden. Other gospel writers do. But it's enough for us to see here that one of the responses to Jesus, God in the flesh, is betrayal. A man who had spent the last three and a half years of his life with Jesus, traveling with him, listening to him, watching him, paying attention to every move, witnessing his miracles, seeing all these things that Jesus did, experiencing the grace and truth of God personally in his own life, even having Jesus wash his dirty feet a few hours earlier. And in response to all of that, 
Judas betrays Jesus. The second response is that people responded to Jesus by condemning him. In verse 13, we see that he's first led to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had prophesied as high priest that one man would die for the Jews, and he advised the Jews it would be better that one man die for the people instead of having all the people get in trouble with the Romans. And so in this kangaroo court, the high priest is questioning Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. But notice, they're not really interested in the truth. They don't care about the facts of the case. They don't want evidence. That's not what this is about. They have already determined that Jesus is a man condemned. They're just going through the motions of a mock trial so they can get him to someone who will execute him. Throughout John's gospel, these same people have been trying to kill Jesus. Why would they suddenly change their mind now? Throughout John's gospel, they have criticized his doctrine, his teaching. They have criticized his healings. They have criticized him every inch of the way. He has been a man condemned in their judgment from day one. And now they have finally reached the point of critical mass. They've reached the point of no return. They've made a decision that this man must die and they will do whatever it takes to make sure that he dies. It's not enough for him to be arrested. It's not enough for him to be taken out of the preaching circuit or prohibited from preaching in synagogues or in the temple. That will not suffice. They want him dead. But they can't kill him because their hands are tied. And so they're going to have to get help, as we'll see next week, they'll have to get help from the larger government around them, the Roman Empire. You notice in this kangaroo court that they also become violent. Not only did they come out to the garden flexing their muscle, wielding their swords and flashing their torches around, But when Jesus begins to testify, to offer his defense, he is struck by someone who is standing nearby. They don't want to hear the truth. And they respond violently to his explanation of it. The third group of people we see here are those who deny Jesus denied Jesus. And we all know the story of this man, Simon Peter, who, like Judas, had followed Jesus for three and a half years. Very similar experiences. Both of them heard the teachings of Jesus, saw the miracles of Jesus, benefited from life with Jesus. They were eating with him, drinking with him. He washed their feet. They joked around together. They became friends. They spent time traveling together. They camped out together. They did everything together to become friends. Jesus called this man his friend just a few hours ago. And what does he get in return? He gets a man in Peter who can't decide which side he's on. 
In one part of the story, he wants to defend Jesus. He pulls a sword out as if he's not learned a single thing from Jesus. He begins to act violently, thinking, this is how I will save the king. This is how we will establish the kingdom. We will use force. And he strikes at the first person standing nearby and takes off an ear. Some of you who are handy with knives might imagine, or you've seen enough movies, you might think, wow, Peter, you know, what was he doing? He's not, a very, he's not a very capable swordsman missing the guy's head like that, which is what he was aiming for, by the way. Well, it's not that he's a bad swordsman. It's that Malchus had quick reflexes. So he's ducking as the sword comes by and the ear is taken off. It's very close, dicey situation. Malchus is his name. Just so happens he's related to people who are involved in the kangaroo court, who are nearby, and they identify Peter. Didn't I see you in the garden? Weren't you the guy with the sword? Aren't you, you tried to kill my cousin, right? That's, you see how this is going? They're, making, they're connecting the dots. But all the while, you notice Peter here in the story, he's sort of in the shadows. His sword is tucked away. He's following Jesus at a distance. Other guys have scattered, but Peter at least has this going for him. He's trying to stay close. He's in the shadows. He's sort of in, sort of out, but he can't quite get in. He's outside the door. Then he's finally brought in. But he doesn't go all the way in as he has the right to do. He simply goes far enough in to say that he's in. John points out that it's night. It's been night for quite a while now, but it's cold that night. And some of the men who have arrested Jesus and brought him to the courtyard have built a fire. They're standing and warming themselves. Peter thinks, that's a good idea. I'll go blend in, make myself small. He becomes this sort of counterfeit Christian chameleon Christian, sneaking over to warm himself at the devil's fire. Meanwhile, Jesus is undergoing the trial. Peter has a trial of his own. People are identifying him. They're going to out him. You're one of his disciples. You're one of his disciples. You're one of his disciples. And each time he says, I am not... And it's the I am not that stands in sharp contrast to what Jesus said earlier in the story when he said, Whom do you seek? And the crowd said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. You're one of his disciples. I am not. He's not simply denying his relationship to Jesus as a disciple. He is denying Jesus. Then there's this other response to Jesus that's not in the story, but this is where our story gets brought into the story. And we're not quite sure because we don't know what each and every person here will do. We've seen how everyone can admire Jesus, and many people do, not only in the ancient world, but also now in the postmodern world. Many people admire Jesus as a good teacher, as a humanitarian, 
Some want to bring him onto their team and make him a revolutionary. Others want to treat him as a socialist. Others want to treat him as a philosopher, a guru. Everyone wants Jesus on their team. Everyone admires Jesus. It's hard to find anyone anywhere who despises Jesus. Most people say nice things about him. Very easy to admire him. That's not the same thing as following him. So I want to ask you as we bring ourselves into this story tonight, what kind of response do you have to Jesus? You've walked with Jesus now in the Gospel of John for many, many weeks. And like Peter and Judas, you have heard Jesus teach and you've seen him perform miracles and you have heard his claims and you know that he has come. God in the flesh, that's his claim for the life of the world. The question is, do you believe that to be the case? Do you believe that is the grace and truth of the gospel of Jesus? It is possible that some, even among us, will respond to Jesus at some point in our life the way Judas did. And you might say, I would never betray Jesus the way Judas did. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And you might think, I would never do that. Money's not that important to me. I would never betray a friend for silver, for money. And my question to you would be, then what is your price? What is it that you value and prize even more than Jesus? What is it that you want even more than Jesus, that you would give up Jesus to have that thing, that experience, that position? Whatever that is for you, that's your 30 pieces of silver. There's more than one way to kiss the sun. The psalm, psalmist tells us, kiss the sun lest he be angry. And in this context of the psalm, it's kiss the sun, meaning worship him, bow before him, give your heart to him. Judas was simply going through the motions. He kissed the sun, but not out of worship, not out of reverence and awe, not out of service, but out of mockery. What's your price? What thing is it? What experience is it? What position is it that the devil would offer you that would prompt you, move you, provoke you to betray Jesus? What's your price? Have you ever considered what it might be. Then there are people who, among us who might even be inclined to condemn Jesus. It's the politics of it all. Jesus puts you in a rough spot. He puts you in a weird position. He challenges you in ways. You're at work. You're, you're a part of a corporation. You're a teacher. You're a part of an institution. Whatever it happens to be. And Jesus is laying claims on you and requiring you to live a certain way, to think a certain way, to do certain things. But you find yourself in that awkward position of knowing that you've got to please God, but at the same time you feel compelled to please man. 
And you look around you and you see the politicians and the religious leaders are playing games with your life. Do you stand and tell the truth? No matter what, no matter what it costs you, or do you play games with them? Jesus did not play games. The story tells us that he knew what was going to happen. He knew what was about to unfold, and he didn't back down. Some people find it much easier to play politics with Jesus, privatize their faith, publicize something else. They want to play hide-and-seek. The religious leaders of this day had no room for Jesus because he was wrecking shop. He was challenging the boundaries of their fellowship. He was challenging their institutions. He was challenging the way they were doing business, and they couldn't tolerate it. When Jesus comes to us, this is exactly what he does, doesn't it? He messes with our lives. He disrupts things. He makes things very uncomfortable. And there's more than one way to condemn Jesus. You could be in the position of Annas and Caiaphas, and you could be in the position of those who have authority, and you could condemn him in an academic way or a political way. But you could also condemn Jesus in the way that others did as they stood on the edges, out in the shadows, fleeing from him, running away from trouble, not wanting to be identified with him. That is a form of condemnation because your refusal to stand with Jesus. And speaking of standing with Jesus, I want you to notice that four times in this story the word stand is used. And guess who it was that was standing near Jesus but not with him? Judas was standing near Jesus, but he was not standing with him. Later on, Peter is standing but not with Jesus. Others are standing as well. It's not about the posture of your body, but it's about the posture of your heart. And then the third response is, it could be that some of us respond to Jesus by denying him. Peter distanced himself from Jesus. Why? Because Peter is doing the classic CYA maneuver, right? He's trying to cover himself. He's trying to protect himself, preserve his own life. If he gets too close to Jesus, he will be outed. He might get in trouble. If he stays far enough away from Jesus, it will appear that he's still with Jesus, but not quite apart from Jesus. He wanted to be an anonymous disciple. And I suspect that's where many of us are here in the 21st century. We are tempted to become anonymous disciples. We don't really want people to know that we love and adore Jesus. We don't really want people to know that we have given our lives to Him, that we have received Him by faith, that He has received us by grace. We don't really want people to know how serious we are about Jesus.
There's a kind of shame that comes along with following Jesus. Not only in Peter's experience, but also in our experience as well. And unless we're willing to step away from the devil's fire and come out into the cold dark with Jesus, we're denying him. In other words, we have to make sacrifices. We have to put our faith on the line, our life on the line. We have to come out and not just be outed. We have to come out and declare ourselves followers and servants and disciples of Jesus Christ. And so my question for all of us is this, what will you do with Jesus? You've been given the privilege of admiring Him week after week in a very safe and comfortable setting. You have been given the privilege of hearing the gospel and learning about Jesus in a very safe and secure place. It's very rare that your life is ever put on the line. It's very rare that you are ever challenged because of your faith. But what if you were? What would your response be? Well, there are two responses that are embedded in this story that are not explicit, but I want to highlight them for you. And one is this. You must embrace Jesus by faith. And that means that you personally, you individually must acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That you personally, you individually must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That you personally and individually must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That you personally and individually must devote yourself to Jesus Christ no matter what. No matter what it costs you. No matter how much it hurts. No matter how lonely it gets. No matter how cold in the night you feel. It is better to be cold with Christ than to be warm with the world. You must embrace Jesus by faith and then hard on the heels of that, you must follow Him wherever He leads. You must follow Him wherever He leads. You follow the truth wherever it goes. You follow grace wherever it takes you. You follow the glory of God in Christ no matter how far it takes you. In John 18, we come to the crossroads of decision along with many other people. And it was at this crossroads that many made their decision for Christ or against Christ. And whatever you think your decision for or against Christ has been up to this point, perhaps tonight is a night when you might want to think clearly once again, are you in or are you out? Have you embraced Him by faith? Are you following Him to the ends of the earth? Do you follow Him through the darkness, through the garden? Will you follow Him wherever He leads, even to the cross and beyond? It's good for us to come to these crossroads moments and to be faced with these decisions afresh and anew from time to time.
And if you're like me, then you will take some time once again to say, do I believe Christ? Do I trust Him? Do I obey Him? Will I follow Him even now? Knowing that we are hours away from the cross, hours away from utter and total rejection by the world, knowing that we will indeed be numbered among the transgressors of those who defect from the world, of those who camp out in the minorities. In this story, the Word made flesh for the life of the world steps into the fray. And he inches a bit closer to the cross. And he does so fearlessly and faithfully as the Savior of the world. And he is calling us to himself, calling us to come out of the shadows, out of the darkness, away from the fires of the world, but to come squarely with him into the darkness of the cross, into the cold of the night. For it is there that we will find the life of the world, the Savior of all.